This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Welcome to Radio Plasma. I'm Johan Rashivega, and here we are in our studio of New England Media Live inside the Gateway City Arts in Holyoke. And I want to welcome Erika Slocum, who is running the project Black Holyoke. There are updates and a lot of interesting and fascinating events, and we didn't want to miss the opportunity of talking to Erika and know how this project is coming up. Erika, welcome, and it's a pleasure seeing you back. Thank you for having me. So, what has been going on with Black Holyoke? So, for the past, what, like seven months now, I've been doing an oral history project, which has really been going back to that idea of talking to the people in the community, Black folks in the community, and really having them share their stories, their, their pictures, photo albums. When I was here back in February, I think I told you, I had been enjoying um, the space at the church. Um, when they have their soup kitchen. And so I've been really using that as an opportunity to connect with folks in the community, particularly folks at the church, which is one of the oldest, or I think the oldest black church in the community, and that's Bethlehem Baptist Church. And so I've been conducting interviews, finding some really awesome stories and photos that people have really opened up and shared. And so What we're doing at the end of this month, August 27th, we're going to open an exhibit at Wisteria Hearst. And the exhibit will go from August 27th, which is the date of the public opening. The opening will start at 12.30 p.m. and go until 5. And the exhibit will be up until October 22nd. And so folks will have the opportunity to go and see, see some of the photos that um, we were given from the community Um, hear snippets from the interviews with Black folks from Holyoke, as well as enjoy a few events. Our next event will be Performing Blackness, which will happen on September 19th, and that'll go from, uh, I believe it's 6 to 8 p.m. Um, and that one's really awesome because we have a local artist who will be performing. Um, we have local vendors at, at all of the events. We'll have local vendors selling their art or showcasing their art as well as the opportunity for folks to see the exhibit and enjoy, like I said, the oral histories. And then our culminating event for the exhibit will be on October 17th. That evening, we'll have um, Matali and the Oneness Band, and they'll be performing at... Um, so we have Velez on September 19th, who'll be performing um, at Wisteria Harris, and Matali and the Oneness Band will be performing on October 17th, Um, that evening, and again, we'll have art artists share, showcasing their art as well at that time. And this sounds like making events at Wisterhurst a regular happening, especially when it talks about the representation of the Black community historically mm -hmm. present for so long, in not only in Holyoke, but the Valley in mm -hmm. general. Absolutely. I think the beautiful thing is that in some of the stories that we've talked about with folks from the community is that we find that Holyoke in particular was a really big 
or had a really big music scene, like black music scene. And so there was a a place called like the Roseland and they had folks like James Brown performed there, Aretha Franklin performed there. And this is in Holyoke, right? And so I think like the black music scene, um, black art scene was a thing that was in existence, was really big. And despite the inability for black artists to stay in some of the hotels and things in the area, it was definitely a place for them to come and perform and where you know, black folks from the community had the opportunity to really experience culture in a way that we would love to see again. As for your research and your work in doing this project with Wissia Hurst, not only reading the archives and doing your research based on what you could find there, but also by integrating information that you have been compiling from members in the community. What has been up to now the most recent findings or new stories that you have? Wow, like there's so many. I think that, I think one that has been sticking out to me lately, um, I spoke to uh, Ms. Duncan and Ms. Dudley last month And they told me a story about the Skinner Coffee House and how they had a group of young black girls come and perform a, a play there. And they were really excited about it. They got promised all of these things, you know, as far as like gifts and, you know, and such for performing there. And, you know, they're telling me this story at Miss Duncan's house. And I'm listening to them and I'm just like, oh, this is like so cool, you know, because it, it connects like the Skinner Coffee House which, you know, we have been going through the archives and really trying to find because we knew that there was um, a black women's group that had happened there that used that space, the coffee house. And so I'm like, this is so awesome because it's tying that the Skinners to, you know, the community in a certain kind of way. And so um, Penny, the archivist at the museum, had actually found this picture. And so we're going through and we're looking at the pictures or whatever, and I'm like, look at this right here. Like, this is Miss Dudley and this is Miss Duncan. And they're probably, in the picture, they're probably, like, I want to say between the ages of seven and ten. And these women now are in their 80s, you know? And so it's just, like, a beautiful thing to see, like, the history be not only archives, because it was a thing that already existed in, you know, the YWCA papers as well as at the museum, but also to be able to, to speak to the living history, right? And, like, speak to the folks who were there um, and really have the opportunity to not only, like, listen to their short stories, but, like, give them this picture, right, of, like, them when they were little girls. And I think that that, to me, is, like, so beautiful because it's, like, it's a thing that, it's a memory that they have But the actual photo isn't something that they had anymore, you know? And so I think that, like, while we're doing this and we're saying, like, you know, I've been saying this is for future generations so that they can look, so that they can know it's for, you know, the youth that are here in the community now. But so much more, like, this is becoming a project where, like, the folks who are telling me the stories, they're giving me the information you know, sharing the pictures with me, you know, some of the pictures are crossing over, right, where someone will give me a picture and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, this is so-and-so, you know, I remember them. And then I interview someone else and they're like, yeah, my, my parents are this person and this person. And I'm like, you know, Doug just gave me a picture of your parents at their wedding, you know what I mean? Which was something that, for instance, Miss Munson, 
you know, I don't believe she was alive when her parents got married. You know what I mean? And Doug brings me a picture of her parents at their wedding, you know? And so it's like, it's something that I can share that I don't think, you know, folks would otherwise have. And so it's like, it's a beautiful thing because these are people who, you know, see each other, they know each other. But I think that, you know, like Miss Munson said to me when, you know, when we were talking a few months back, she said that it was something that they lived whether that was the march on in solidarity with the march on Washington on High Street in the 60s or actually being at the march on, on Washington, experiencing racism or things in Holyoke that, you know, were just part of their life, you know what I mean? And so it's like you don't think of it as history per se because you're just living through it. And so I think the, the beautiful thing about the project, particularly and more specifically the oral history part, is that People are having the opportunity to really tell their story, remember um, the, the experiences that they've had, and be able to not only leave that for you know the public, but what we're finding is also they're they're being able to like recount these stories with their family in a way that I think again, like Miss Munson said, like you've lived the the history, you've lived it, you know what I mean. You don't particularly think about it as history, and so. Now, with this, they're having the opportunity to, like, really sit down and think through their life and leaving that behind for their children, for their grandchildren, um, and for, you know, everyone else in the community, which is, like I said, just really a beautiful thing. And when you talk about living through history, as we are today, with so many events happening uh, nationwide and worldwide, some of them not necessarily the most positive Right. But at the same time, in a, in a way, they inspire mm. action and thoughts and ways to figure out how to get over these situations. Mm. Seeing the social crisis and all the different situations happening in the United States, how do you think the impact of your research becomes more meaningful seeing how the racial division in the society in power is trying in a way to wipe it out. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the beautiful thing about history, right, is that it repeats itself, right? And so that could be good, you know, for better or for worse. But I think that the importance of, you know, telling history and, and gathering the stories so that people can see, like, this isn't new, right? Like, black folks in this country have been consistently marginalized and subjugated to, you know, just horrible experiences, right? And so, like I said, it's not new, you know, and in history, in many ways, like people are comparing now, you know, to the those that are in power now and, you know, the situations and, and the rhetoric around, you know, black folks or, you know, Latino folks, whatever in this country and comparing it to the past, right? And so I think that it's important for us to understand the past, for us to understand our history so that we can know where where we go from here, right? Because like I said, this isn't new in the treatment of and the erasure of, you know, people of the global majority from history, you know, particularly in communities like this, isn't a new thing, right? And so for us to understand like how our ancestors did it, how did they you know, come through slavery, you know, how did they come through Jim Crow? How did they come through sundown towns and, you know, police brutality in the past so that we can see what it is that they did so that we can do it better, right? But in order for us to understand that and know where we need to go, 
we have to know our history. And so I think projects like this, especially local projects, are important. Local histories are important because we think of history as this like broad thing where it's like, oh, you know, it was happening in the South. Those things happened in the South, but they didn't happen here, right? And so when we have police brutality in Springfield or Holyoke or Amherst, you know, in these communities, we think, oh, well, this is the North. It's never happened here. Like, this is a new phenomenon. And it's like, no, these things have been happening, right? And again, like, people lived through that. And so listening to the stories of those who, you know, our elders that are still here, that still can tell us the stories is so important, so critical, so that we can, again, just understand what it is that we need to do, right? And and again, how do we do it better? How do we do it in a way that is for this time that we live in, this time of social media and broad media and news, you know what I mean? From here to Cuba to, you know, to the continent of Africa, like, there are so many things that are happening now that we are, are witnessing now in making history now, right, that we need to understand our past and our history. And also thinking as ways of these manifestations, and now I'm appealing the artists in you, mm-hmm. how do you see the ways of expression happening recently in Springfield mm-hmm. and now in Holyoke, particularly referring to the two new murals mm-hmm. made by Girl Singh representing young women of color. Mm-hmm. And public art is becoming a beautiful way to inspire people mm-hmm. and to keep these conversations going. Mm-hmm. How do you feel seeing those works happening? I think it's so important. I just, I think that like any way that we can preserve our stories, you know, is critical, right? Especially as like black and brown people in communities that are predominantly, I would say predominantly white, but the power structures are definitely predominantly white, right? Because we're here and we're here in numbers, right? Both in Springfield and in Holyoke, you know, black and brown folks are here. And so it's like, how do we, how do we showcase that in, in a beautiful way? And I think what better way to do it than art? Right. What better way to do it on murals and the sides of buildings that people have to, you know, pass by on a daily basis and a way of saying, like, we're here, you know, we're here. We have a history here and we're not going anywhere. Right. And so not to say, like, accept it or don't accept it. But the reality of the situation is that we exist here. Right. And we have a longstanding history in these places. And so what better way to do it really than the beauty of art, right? And in self-expression. And I think that like, I think I told you before when I was here last time that I was taking these classes on like art-based research. And so it's like, how do we turn the research and the lived experiences that we have into art, which can be translated into like art has no language, right? Whether that's music or visual art, like whatever it is, you feel that. Right. You see it and you feel it. And I think that that is that's so important and that's so much bigger, I think, than a lot of the things that we think of as far as like what is history or what is, you know, historical preservation. I think what better way than on the sides of buildings. Right. I just think that that's so powerful. And like even when they paint over it or it, it, you know, washes over with time, like you have the pictures. Right. Like you have this preserved story that just tells about who we are and speaks to our collective, you know, resistance and experiences and history. And also when we talk about celebrating the presence And with that making as as well that statement of 
here we are mm -hmm. through art, through performing arts particularly. Mm -hmm. And this event that you are organizing at Wisteria Hearst that make this purpose of bringing folks of color and people in general who haven't felt that they could be mm -hmm. in a place that historically resembles just the presence of white folks. Mm -hmm. And having this event is that perfect combination of blending together mm -hmm. and repurposing the spaces. Mm -hmm. So the title of the exhibit is actually a reliquary of, of blackness. And so I was having a conversation with my advisor, John Bracey, at UMass, and he's just like, why a reliquary? Like, you know, it's so representative of like Catholicism and just thinking of like what is a reliquary right and I think like what is a reliquary it's like a space of you know preserving holy relics and what if not anything is our history but a holy you know experience right and so I think that like for me it's like this preservation and bringing it into you know a space like Wisteria Hearst which is like museums in general are like are just spaces for like white um, consumer culture right and like this idea that like this is what we want let me show you you know this shiny thing you know what I mean like a mansion you know on a hill in, in Holyoke right which is like been a, a working class town since forever and so you have this space that again has been a space for preserving white culture particularly the Skinner's you know family history And so it's like, what better places than museums to take over and occupy and claim as, you know, as ours, right? Because like, Wisteria Hearst is in the middle of a predominantly Latino community, right? And it's there, but it's like, the people aren't necessarily or haven't necessarily been historically reflected in that space, right? And so it's like, we got to take it over. We have to bit by bit get our stories there and like, So another awesome story was Mr. Griffin was telling me a story about his grandmother, no, his aunt, an aunt of his who used to work at Wisteria Hearst. And nowhere really in the history of like the workers at Wisteria Hearst is the story of this woman. And so Doug says, you know, you really got to talk to my cousin Terry because Terry, that was his grandmother. And so Terry would be able to tell you like more about her. And so Terry lives in, in California, and he calls me up, and he's, like, telling me this story about his grandmother. Like, he remembers going to pick her up. He remembers her, you know, coming from Virginia to help, you know, his mom and, his, you know, his dad take care of the kids and the house and whatever. And she worked at Wisteria Harris. And so he says, you know, on the weekends, we used to go there and we used to pick her up. And so he could recount all of these, like, really vivid memories of him going to Wisteria Hearst, right? But again, like nowhere in the museum is this woman's history of her working there, right? You have all of these like European immigrants who worked in the house, like all these white folks. And one of the things that I've realized in visiting other house museums is that when they're, they're preserving the history of even like the workers in the house, they don't preserve the history of the black workers in the house, right? And I feel like you know, that's, it becomes intentional. And so my point for saying this is I think that those are the things, those are the ways, those are the spaces where we say, like, folks worked here, folks lived here. How do we 
not only bring like the history of Holyoke, Black Holyoke into Wisteria Harris, but how do we bring the history of black workers who worked in the house for the Skinners and the Kilbournes into that space, right, and tell the stories and make them a part of the permanent installations that are there about Wisteria Harris because those histories are about Wisteria Harris, right? And so again, back to the reliquary <laughs> is that we make these spaces ours, right? And we make these spaces, we make our history as pretty and as shiny as the houses, right? For better or for worse, whatever that history looks like, we preserve it and we, we treat it as like a holy relic, right? Because for us, that's what it is. <laughs> and it's a matter of adding those pieces of information that are part of the whole history that were not included for different reasons. Mm -hmm. That is why, to me, the work that you're doing, Erica, is so relevant, so important. And I hope this also inspires more people in the community to continue mm -hmm. digging on, getting th those stories told, to learn from them, and to keep adding these pieces of information, because that is a way of documenting history as mm -hmm. well. Sometimes we just think that is the job of some in mm. particular. And maybe that is why history has been just told from one side. Mm -hmm. Because no one else thought, let me include my own. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's not, I don't think it's so much of a situation of let me include my own, but like history is the story of the winners, right? And so it's like when you have oppressed groups of people and we don't have power in the, you know, structural power within these institutions, then how do we get our stories told? It's easy for white folks to tell their story because historically in this country, they have maintained power. And so I think that the thing that happens with people of the global majority, because this isn't just a thing that's happening here in this country. Like you look around the world and it's happening in spaces, even on the continent of Africa, right? Like this is a predominantly black, it's a black continent. You know what I mean? Like these are black people. And even yet and still in those spaces, you know, Europeans who have colonized different countries in the continent have still maintained control over much of the histories of these places, right? And so it's like, how do we, how do we reclaim, not only reclaim space, but de decolonize in the real way, not, you know, some, you know, flashy word, you know, or use of the word, but actually decolonize our histories, right? Decolonize museums in a way that you break them down and you interject your stories, you know what I mean? So that we have the ability and the right, really, to have a claim on history in a real way. So it's not just, oh, this Black Holio project is happening. Like the, the desire and the hope is that we want to teach oral history courses so that youth in the community can go out and do their own oral, oral histories, right? So that youth in the community can take on this project. And, and not just youth. I keep saying youth and partially because I think that the future is for them, you know, in a way that it isn't for us, right? But I think that even for folks in the community, anybody who wants to be able to, you know, tell their story and tell the stories of their grandparents or their grandparents' parents or, you know what I mean? Like, however far back they can go should be able to do that. And I think that having the ability to do it in your own voice and in your own words and in your own way is exceptional. And so I think starting with this oral history courses so that 
we can get folks in the community doing these kinds of projects for themselves on their own and giving them, you know, Wisteria Hearst, Kate at Wisteria Hearst has already said, like, we're more than willing to store them here, you know, so people can go out and do them. If they need a place to store them, they can store them there. And so I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I'll also say that, you know, people talk about being allies all the time. And I think that becomes like a buzzword. But it's like, like white folks really, as allies, when they say that word, should really use their whiteness and use their privilege, use their privilege in, inside institutions that they're in, use their privilege outside in the world to really, you know, move, one, move out the way, right? But also in the ways that they can make it so that we can move and we can push our history forward, that we can push our movements forward, that that should be their job, right? And I think that really what's been happening at Wisteria Hearst from what I see is that that's the thing, right? Is that how do we, or I keep saying we, but how do they, you know, particularly as like predominantly white women move out the way so that folks can tell their own stories and also use the privilege that they have to create space so that the history is preserved in a way that is, you know, for the people as original and as natural and, and real as possible. And this is a process that takes time and mm -hmm. a lot of work. And it's been two years already mm -hmm. with your research on Black Holyoke. And still there's so much more to do mm -hmm. and to continue doing. So it is always really gratifying to see events like this happening at Wisteria Hearst and mm -hmm. seeing that everyone at the museum is so open and willing to help that process to take place and mm -hmm. these events to happen. So this is something worth of celebration. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point in time, what is the next stage for Black Holyoke? So um, I'll continue to do oral histories with people in the community. There are so many people... I think right now we have about 10 interviews that we did and including like follow-ups with people and, and such. But, and these are our long, hours long conversations, right? But I think that there's so many more people that want to tell their story. And so I think that for me, I'll continue to do that work so that as many people as I can include and gather, I'll continue to do that. As far as the exhibit goes, like we want to have it be um, a traveling exhibit. So I've been speaking to people at Mount Holyoke. The staff there at the at their museum is really excited about bringing it to the Skinner House or the Skinner Museum rather, which is on 116 in South Hadley. So it'll be there for a time. I've spoken to folks at UMass about bringing it to the um, New Africa House at UMass. Um, hopefully in February, we'll, we'll have it there. And, you know, speaking with folks from Holyoke High Schools, really, is who, like, some of the teachers that I've spoken to about, particularly for some of the students who are, like, black students who identify as black students and wanting to see that in their space. And so, like, that's the hope, at, at least for the exhibit, is that we can make it traveling. I spoke to Eileen at the um, library. So really want to make it so that It's, it's the community's exhibit, you know, it's their, it's their work, right? Like, I'm doing the, the labor of it, but, like, this is their history. This is their life, you know, stories. And so it's, like, how do we present it and get it to 
as many places as possible so that different people have the opportunity to, to see it and engage with it and also potentially <laughs> and hopefully we'll be able to garner enough funds to expand it in a way that would make folks from the community really happy as well as like thinking about ways to to get these kind of like I don't know what they're called but like public spaces where you know the history is out in the world like how do we get either like a plaque or some kind of public display that says like this is where black people live like this was the neighborhood that you know they could only be in and this is actually an idea from people who have talked to in the community of them being like how do we preserve the history in a public way that's not just in the museum but like you know on the streets of Holyoke um, and there's this cool thing out in um, Eastern Mass. I can't remember the name of the project, but they're doing that like around Massachusetts. They've been creating kind of like these like checkpoints where you can go to and you can listen to the history from your phone. And so it's like, how do we get that going in, in Holyoke? I know that they said that they have some in Springfield, some checkpoints in Springfield. And I think one in Holyoke somewhere. And so it's like, really, how do we um, boost that? So again, that we're not only preserving the history in the museum, but we're also making it a public project. And just a side note, like one of the other things that people have said is like in February, the city of Holyoke doesn't really do much for black Black folks. History Month. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like how do we how do we get how do we get that going in a way that will, you know, preserve black history for the community, like as a community would like to see it happen. Kepri's not happy. <laughs> Definitely something to keep on the to-do list for the city to find and figure out ways to include more events and activities to recognize and celebrate the black community in Holyoke during February. And at the same time, to continue this work of spreading out the word and the awareness for people to realize Yeah, black history is so strong and so present and and so alive in our community. I want to thank you for doing all this all this work while taking care of your new baby. Yeah, it's been a lot. Um, but this is definitely a black holio baby. <laughs> um, he's been to the museum with me both in the room and um, presently after his birth. Um, So it's been a lot, but I think like also like the community has been really welcoming uh, to both of us. We're just working it out. <laughs> We're trying to make it work the best we can. Well, Erica, thank you so much for stopping by to share all this information. And we will be sharing with the public all the details about the upcoming events mm -hmm. and also how to get in touch with you, mostly through the Facebook page, Black Holyoke. Mm -hmm. Also, folks can email blackholyoke at gmail.com as well. And uh, either myself or one of the volunteers will get back to people about how they can either um, contribute or, or volunteer with the project. Well, this is our conversation with Erica Slocum and the project Black Holyoke. All the information about the events and the project itself. It's available in the posting of this session on our website, radioplasma.com. Erika, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> With this, we conclude our conversation that has been recorded in the studios of New England Media Lab inside Gateway City Arts. 
in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>